Let's talk wellness now, though, and do get in touch on your questions on this as well. The emotional side of infertility is our topic. Couples who struggle to conceive not only need physiological treatment, but also need emotional support because this is often a very difficult time for them uh, psychologically. So this morning we look at that and how dealing with the emotions relating to infertility can help couples to possibly conceive. We're joined by Tanya Rubin, who is a social worker specializing in infertility grief. Tanya, thank you for joining us. How are you this Thursday? Hey, Jack. Good morning. Good in yourself. I'm good. Thanks for making time. Emotions, I mean, yeah, thank you. Emotions have a lot to play in just conceiving even. I mean, just starting Mm -hmm. there, right? Because getting one in a state of calm and removing all anxiety is something that gets advised in terms of when couples are trying to conceive. Absolutely. I think that the emotional toll that infertility plays is just enormous. And I think that it's about trying to help couples deal with some sense of calm and trying to deal with the emotions that impact on them throughout the fertility journey. So these emotions that couples go through, are they a result of internal or external factors? I think both. I think that it's often people speak about the roller coaster of infertility. So I think that it's the impact of the medical side of the fertility treatment. And then I think it's about both internal and external factors that come into place. I think it's possibly the emotional roller coaster that they have to deal with. Mm. So it's the, it's, I often talk about the grief that people have to go to go through. So it's having to deal with enormous emotions um, of the infertility journey, the ups and downs, the highs and lows, um, the enormous anxiety that you mentioned. And then external factors is the enormous pressure that they have to deal with, possibly from family pressure, um, individual pressure, cultural pressure. So I think that it's a combination of external and internal factors. Let's unpack the internal uh, factors and how different are they for men and women if these are substantial disparities that we need to note because maybe they're not that different. But internally, what what happens to the couple when they are struggling to conceive? So I think that men and women go through the journey differently. I think the impact on men and women is different and the same Uh on many levels. I think that it depends on what factors they're coping with and where where the infertility um, journey, what they're having to deal with. So often we don't like to assign blame, but often women seem to take on more of the infertility and the impact of infertility depending on what's going on. So I think that it impacts on the couple on many levels. Um, An enormous amount of stress starts to impact. So depending on where they enter into the journey, um, obviously we look at what the medical impact is happening in terms of going through the steps of the journey and having to deal with understanding and processing every part of the every part of the process. And then obviously it impacts on their relationship. Mm. So we often look at, you know, I often say to couples that when you when you enter into the infertility journey, you're starting at the beginning phase of treatment. And then it impacts on different levels. We start to look at financial pressure, we look at emotional pressure. We look at the spiritual impact of the journey and then it might impact on, on couples differently in that women often have to bear the hormonal side of treatment, which men might not have to bear, depending obviously if we're looking at a male infertility diagnosis or female and then the combination of factors on the two. So it would definitely impact on their relationship and depending on length of treatment as well and what the support is between the two and having to go through the treatment um, together 
whether they're dealing with it on their own or dealing with the factors together. So the impact would be different and similar, depending on the length of time as well. So what are the major things that come up on the side of men then in terms of what they're struggling with internally? Uh, on the one part, when it is the man who's found to be the one who needs to go through treatment and on the part where uh, the man has to support the woman. Mm. So I think when, when it is a male, male factor infertility, I think that men, men struggle to cope with the diagnosis. I think it's often about being a man, about being able to support their, their, their partner through the process. Mm. And I think the diagnosis for men is a very difficult one to deal with. I think it's about manhood, about being being the man in the relationship, about being the one that, you know, it's, it's not something that men talk about. Mm. So I think that often the diagnosis in itself is very difficult. Um, and then obviously moving forward, you know, if, if men, it's about having a child, it's about being able to carry their name, it's about being able to provide in the family and being the strong one. It's all the, the cultural and societal stigmas that are attached to the diagnosis. I think for men, just dealing with a diagnosis in itself is often a very difficult one. Um, mm. I think the second part of your question in terms of being able to support their partner through the process, I think it's about communication. I think it's about understanding what is the diagnosis and how do we cope with this together, which is a very difficult one to process. And often it's about, you know, it's, it's something we don't have a frame of reference for. Mm. So in growing up, it's not something that's spoken about. There's still, I don't know why, but in the 20th century, there's still such a huge stigma about infertility. So at school and growing up and culturally and society, it's not something that we talk about. So people enter into the fertility world or patients enter into the fertility world without an understanding of what, what is this, what's happening to me now, and where do I talk about it, where do I reach out for help. So I think that that's often an enormous difficulty that people, men and women actually, aren't able to go out and talk to friends and family and say, you know, how do I deal with this? Who do I go and talk to? How do I cope? How do we cope with each other? And I, and that's why I linked to your question earlier. I think men and women process it differently. Mm. And internally, the impact is so enormous that they don't really know how to process it and who to talk to. So I think the support factor on each other and their own internal psychological journey becomes such a difficult one to process. And as you say, because there's no frame of reference, we prioritize mm. these types of, uh, you know, conversations because people do need to hear that as much as yes. there's no frame of reference, it's not that it doesn't happen. It does happen. It's just that we're not having the conversations openly in our personal spaces. Uh, the beauty of radio coming in there, Tanya, and thanking you also for your time. External factors then. How do we become more mindful as family members, as society as the culture as friends around those who are struggling to conceive to not make or exacerbate in this infertility grief mm. i think it's about people understanding that it does happen and it happens more often than not and you know if i think if we look at the statistics that are happening it's supposedly one in five couples or people individuals that are dealing with infertility and just just being more mindful and understanding that this does happen it is a reality, and it's being more sensitive, being more empathic to the fact that this is going on. People are struggling all around us, and that the impact is enormous. It is so all-consuming, and it's everywhere. You know, when you hear a song on the radio, when you hear mm. a conversation like this, and um, when you walk past someone, pregnancy announcements on Facebook, on Instagram, on social media, um, in the office, wherever it is, it's all around us. And I think it's about just understanding that this does happen. I think also socially, 
culturally, you know, um, there, there are huge expectations on people having to conceive on have children. And it's just the questions that are asked that people don't take into account that there are such enormous inner struggles and journeys and it's just about being mindful and understanding that people are struggling and they often aren't able to talk about it and verbalize it mm. and it's just understanding that these journeys are taking place and yeah. it's maybe being a little more sensitive to what's going on out there. Absolutely we need to be definitely more sensitive and I guess mm. maybe sometimes we might miss certain things because you know these questions we ask also sometimes I'm just reminded now I was at the gym I think two days ago. So, I mean, my, my stomach is not very flat. It's not a flat stomach, and I'm, I'm not ashamed to say it. But after I drink a lot of water, it actually becomes really like a belly now. I look like I've been drinking beer. So this lady, yeah. So, so this lady at the, at the changing rooms is saying to me, are you pregnant? I'm like, no, I'm not. Yes. And, I'm, and she's like, really? Are you sure? You're like, is that just, you know, umkaba? Kind of umkaba is like the African word for a belly. Yes, and I'm thinking, what yes. if I'd actually lost a child and this woman is insisting exactly. on asking this question? You know, so exactly. things like that. Yeah, it's the questions that people ask without really, not necessarily meaning harm, but it's the questions that people ask without really thinking. And for people, it's just a question. But for patients or people going through infertility, that question has a long-lasting impact and the impact is enormous. Mm. Imagine, are you sure you're not pregnant? Wow, people, yeah. let's just uh, think about what we say a bit. Tanya, your uh, your closing remarks then on infertility grief, what what do you like to say? Um, I think that it's, too, well, maybe one important thing. Mm-hmm. We all understand grief on different levels, and we've all been touched and exposed to grief and trauma, especially living in South Africa. And I think that that is tangible grief. It's something we understand and we, 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 can, we can relate to. We've been to funerals. We, we understand that and people around us can understand that. Infertility grief is different in that it's not tangible. It's something we can't hold on to, but it's very, very real for people that go through it. They have lost something. It's a loss of potential, a loss of hope, a dream, a wish, a want. And I think that it's, it really is coming back to your last point. It's, it's, it's about people out there just understanding how real and tangible this is for people struggling, even if you can't see it. And I think yeah. it's really just about taking that into account because the struggle is just enormous. Thanks again for your time. Can we connect with you on social media? Um, yes, absolutely. Uh, um, my, yeah. Your, your handles? <laughs> uh, it's Tanya Rubin. Well, my, it's TanyaRubin.com. Okay. And otherwise, you can just you you can find me if you just Google Tanya Rubin. I'm around. <laughs> okay, awesome. TanyaRubin.com. I think that's the best way to go. The the website. Thank you so much, Tanya Rubin, social worker specializing in infertility grief, talking to us on our wellness corner.